At Jared, we have a brilliant selection of beautifully crafted diamond engagement rings and certified loose diamonds so that you can find the perfect one for your one and only. Best selection, best prices. Enjoy the Jared difference today. Jared, love brilliantly. My name is Tracy Ariel, and I am unapologetically Canadian. Earlier today, I attended a commemoration for Leo Brent Gunning in Potsdam, New York. Leo Brent Gunning served with the 82nd uh, Airborne in Vietnam, and he died on April 4th, uh, 1968, while trying to pull uh, Richard Davidson, a Canadian Vietnam vet, uh, out of danger. Uh, so today, Richard Davidson and... Uh, Mr. Gunning's sister, Colleen Taylor, organized a commemoration event at the cemetery and at the American Legion in Potsdam, New York, and 60 of us attended, including several people from Quebec, and it was just a great day, and so on the way home, I asked uh, Richard Davidson what he thought about the day, why he organized it, what happened in Vietnam, uh, and uh, here's our conversation. Richard, can you describe uh, what was happening that day? Well, first of all, every day we were in the same similar situation, in a danger area where we could have been blown up by a mine, where some other people have been blown up previously, or being shot at by the enemy. Or, uh, But then uh, the days previously that we got into such a tight situation where the North Vietnamese Army regulars which are the elite soldier of North Vietnam, these were the hardcore, the better soldier of soldiers. All these other Vietnamese who fought, they were for, forced to fight because the government of uh, North Vietnam had uh, used these people as like cannonball, cannon fire, whatever they want to call it, like sol just soldiers. But today, every day we went out, we never knew what was going to happen, how it's going to happen. And this particular day, a unit, another company from my, my military unit, was sent into a village, and they got wiped out by an ambush, which are part of the 13 who got killed on that day. This is April 4th, April 4th, 1968, yeah. And where is it again? At Nam Phu, in the Republic of At Nam Phu, uh, Republic of Vietnam, which is about three or four miles south of Hue City. And you were part of the... 82nd Airborne. We, we came in by helicopter, and we landed in an open field, not too far away from the village, maybe a thousand feet. So when we got off, off the helicopter, we proceeded forward to help a unit that had been ambushed by the NVA. Uh, so the people who had got ahead of us were killed. So we had to go in there to help them out. Then my Lieutenant Ragsdale got shot in the head. The radio man got shot in the head. A bunch of, uh, and then uh, and then I went forward, and the medic was taking care of the Lieutenant and the radio man. And uh, I went by the medic and I asked him about how they were and he, he was taking care of them and he was in the line of fire also. So what happened is uh, I, I could hear this fellow calling for help. 
and my whole body rattled like a skeleton if you took it on the end of a stick and rattled it, you know. So I went forward, I got to a soldier, a black soldier, and I tried to check his pulse. And I couldn't get his pulse because I guess I was too nervous. So I looked ahead and I saw the enemy who was like underground and a little square area, maybe uh, 10 inches by 10 inches, and he was firing through. So, so what happened is that uh, I can see the enemy. So I took a grenade and I threw it at the location where I saw this guy. And he was underground, but he was a sharpshooter. He's the one who was shooting most of the people who got hit, got shot. These people are especially, that's their specialty to do that. And they're called snipers, you know. So then I started pulling the soldier back. And as I was pulling him back, I don't know how many feet, uh, maybe 100 feet, I got shot pulling him away. And it came from behind me on my buttocks. And it hit me through the organs and, the, and my penis. And uh, I had all kinds of bloody area. But I was lucky because 90% of the people, when they get shot, the bone hit the uh, the bullet hits the the bone or an artery and goes up your leg into your spine and you become paralyzed for many many cases or you you lose your leg if your damage is more through the bone so me it was a million dollar wound because it didn't hit an artery it didn't hit the bone it just hit the flesh and I had an opening of maybe a, a six or eight inch opening of where the bullet came out in the thigh between the thigh right in my thigh so there was a big hole there and then it hit uh, uh, it, it blew the testicle out and it hit the penis and it hit the, the it grazed on the other side of the leg wow. and then it hit in the, between the bladder and the, whatever it is you know there was some more damage there so then I fell down I was wounded oh no yeah I fell down I was wounded then Leo came over to me and he says, don't worry, Dave, I'll take care of you. And I said, get. And before I can say down, he got shot right through the brain and it fell on my chest and he died right there. And then, so when I, had been, I was shot, I took his body and I moved it on the side and I got fired upon to protect me from more shooting. Because the sniper was still visible and could see us and fire. So when that happened, two soldiers came up. And they started pulling me back, like my, my arms were extended, I was lying on my back, and I was in like a little gully, a little crevice, you know. So as they were pulling me back, the enemy came forward and threw a grenade. And the grenade landed on one side of the rice dike. The dikes were maybe two feet wide, maybe 14 inches off the ground where the water was, but there was no water there And this time of year. So the grenade blew up, and it, it blew up through the rice dike. But because my arms were higher than my body, most of the shrapnel I got were in my arms and my hand. So because my arms were higher off the ground when they were pulling me back. And both the sergeants, the sergeant on the right-hand side, they were not as low as I was, and they got shrapnel all over their face, and the one who was on the right side was all over his right side of the body. And the other guy who was on the other side pulling me from the other side, like one each arm, he got shrapnel all over his face. It was as if it was as if you took a pitchfork with 50 pitches on them and you just stabbed and made holes in their skin, you know. And they had all shrapnel in their face and in the side of their body. And then somebody else came forward, Glenn, uh, uh, 
Carlton Walls pulled me out. They brought me to the aid station. And at the aid station, I was laying on a stretcher and I could feel the blood on my stretcher and they had given me some serum. And because there was no artery and there was no bone and there was no danger for my life, they were operating maybe 10 feet away on more serious cases of people who probably had been shot in the head, in the arm or leg or lost a leg or, or whatever. So they had, uh, now usually a, a statistic which is pretty well true is every time you have someone killed, you have an average of 10 wounded. Because the people uh, usually survive because the medication transportation is so close to the combat area that they get the helicopters in there and they put you on a helicopter and they take you out to a, a location where there's medic or where medics are. So all I remember is then after that they transported me by helicopter to um, I think it was Queen Yon, but I'm not sure. I was taken to emergency hospital and I apparently was on the operating table for about ten and a half hours because of all the damage I had. So they had to restore a lot of parts down there. And then I was in the hospital, and when I was in the hospital, there was a POW camp. What the Americans do is they put the prisoners, the Vietnamese prisoners, in the middle of the camp so the enemy don't bomb the hospital so that, because their soldiers are in the center. Right, okay. And I remember when I got out and on a wheelchair maybe a week later, when the guards were changing the guards at the gate, they would hang their 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 forty fives on the on the you know where they changed like change uh, uh, duty or whatever, and I felt so much hatred that I wanted to grab the forty five and just shoot at the prisoners. Wow! And you know this. I, April fourth, nineteen sixty eight. Yeah, about five thirty at night. Ah, okay. All right, and so now we're just driving back. From Potsdam, it was literally 50 years. Talk about a little bit about the planning for today. What what made you decide well, to commemorate your buddy today? Well, I've been thinking about it through the years. That the appropriate time to honor the family and the veteran, and I'd have to get prepared. Can you talk about him first? Talk about who? Talk about um, Leo. Leo, yeah. Well, Leo was a shy guy, quiet, not a troublemaker, a very pensive person. What was his job? Why was he the one that was taking care of you? Because I happened to be there when I got shot. Oh, okay. okay. And he was part of my squad. Okay. He was an M79 guy. An M79 guy is a guy who is holding like a, like a rifle, but the rifle is like a big tube, maybe two and a half inch, like a tube which fires a grenade, it's a grenade launcher. And they use these people to throw a grenade at a position so they can blow up the enemy. Now that was his job. Like we have people in machine gun, we have people in sharpshooters, we have people who are point man with a 12 gauge shotgun. What was your job? I was a assistant machine gun and I was 81 millimeter, uh, uh, 81 millimeter uh, artillery shell, which is a shell that's fired from a tube. It's like these. It's like a rocket launcher. Oh. Okay, so it's, it's a job. It's a job that 
and there's so so many different jobs. That's one of the different jobs that there are. Okay. Huh? We're already at the Quebec border. Yep. All right. And so the um, so a few times you've gone to New York, you've gone to see his gravesite. Yes, and we've every time went by, we either brought we brought flowers and a Canadian flag to remember my buddy. And uh, this was with some other people who are friends of mine. Uh, well, they were, yeah, we, we, we went down for the day and they helped to, uh, to get there and uh, pay a tribute to him. Right. What, what happened to uh, decide this? Like basically two months ago when you called the police agent? I had to find a way to get in contact with the family. I knew the family name was Labrec, so my intention was to join the family and ask them about what I was planning. So what I did is I was thinking of calling the funeral parlor because they had to be registered with one funeral parlor and they all know each other. So I was going to call the funeral parlor and ask them at the burial of 1968, Leo Brand Gunning, and they would have told me uh, about the family, family, you know. Right. So what I did is I found out an American Legion post in the area, and I asked, I asked them, "Do you know of uh, American? Le I mean, they were American Legion. Do they know about uh, Leo Brent Gunning?" And they said, "Yes, we do." And the person I spoke to was a relative of Leo. He was a post commander. So then I got uh, the phone number from the brother and the cousins and that, and they gave me their number. And from one number, I called Ali, uh, uh, I called her up, and I said, "Are you a Leo Gunning uh, member of family?" Yes. So that's when I started getting in touch with everybody. So then I asked her what was what was the name of the cemetery because I didn't remember the name. And once I got the name of the cemetery, well, then I said I'd like to uh, to honor him in his memory. And uh, would would you would the family like to come to the cemetery and uh, uh, partake with the honoring uh, situation? So she says yes. She had contact with the members of the family, and I uh, and then from there on it proceeded forward. Then I called the commander of the American Legion. And I said, would you be able to uh, to have uh, uh, people come to the Legion and have a memorial uh, commemoration? And they said, yes. And I said, I uh, would like to pay for the drinks. And then I asked her about having a cake made. So she made the cake, had the cake made and I paid for it. And then she, we ordered the flowers from the funeral, uh, from the florist and I had that done also. And then uh, I said, you, uh, how about some food? I said, we can have the food at the Legion, okay. So the family did make some beans and things like that. The other stuff was purchased from the grocery store and was displayed there today for, uh, for everybody's purpose. And I offered to buy two drinks for everybody, so I gave them the okay to serve the people whatever they want. And they were very reasonable in the price today. Uh, very, very reasonable. Um, 
And uh, so are there any other uh, comments that you have about uh, today? Well, I'm very proud to have done what I've done because it was, it's what I had to do for myself and for the family in honor of my buddy. And you were supported by a bunch of guys from the Vietnam, uh, the Quebec Association. Quebec, Maybe Vietnam, you can talk yeah. about them a little bit? Yeah, well, they're a group of civilian people who at the time, and one of the fellows, the founders, Jules Sauvé, his father was an American. And he was very proud of that. And with other people who are not around today, Jacques Gendron was also a founder. Gilles Sauvé was a founder. And there's another fellow who was a founder, but he passed away many years ago. So they built, no, Dominic was a worker. He, he did the monument work, you know. It, he was not founder, but he did a lot of, he did a lot of good things for the Quebec Vietnam Veterans Association. We have no problem with recognizing him for all the work he's done. So what happened is that uh, Gilles Sauvé was, uh, was always there to, to promote the association and to promote veterans. And some people who were non-veterans were supporting the groups. At that time, we maybe had 15 Quebec Vietnam veterans who were uh, people who served in the U.S. Armed Forces. Now, we have about 115 Canadians who died in Vietnam in U.S. Forces. Uh, maybe the last thing to talk about is, uh, for now anyway, is uh, your plans uh, over the next uh, few months. Well, in the next few months we're having, uh, about 10 years ago I started going to the uh, my military unit uh, reunions for the uh, Charlie Company 1st 505, which is my brigade. This is the unit that lost 124, or is it 224? I don't remember, 224 or 124. Uh, 100 men killed in Vietnam from my brigade. Now, I think it's 224. So I've been going to these reunions maybe for the last 10 years. I've been going to the 82nd Airborne Military in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And I've been going to conventions, which we've had in Texas, which we've had in Orlando, which we've had in Reno, which we've had in Dallas, which we've had also gone, gone to Arlington Cemetery on Memorial Day week and Memorial Day weekend. We've been to Washington many, many times. Uh, okay, yeah. So we've gone to many different uh, organizations, Massachusetts, uh, Vermont, New York, Connecticut. Through all the years, we've been going to certain parades. These are Canadian Vietnam veterans who served in the U.S. forces to honor the veteran organizations. Now, the, the coming up event, which is the, is going to be held to remember 50 years ago, our unit was, was uh, by President Johnson, was uh, made ready to go to combat during the Tet Offensive in 1968 in up near Way City to uh, help the Marines and the uh, U.S. forces who were uh, being attacked by the North Vietnamese uh, suppressive army, if you want to call it that. 
So we were sent over to by President Johnson. When the, he gave us farewell, I was a squad leader, and I was the first guy, and President Johnson walked right by me. When our rifles loaded, we were ready to move on to get onto the plane, and his shoulder probably could have touched my shoulder if he had been four inches closer to, uh, to where I was standing. We were standing in a brigade in company-sized groups. And uh, he gave us farewell that day. And then we flew up to Alaska, Fairbanks, Alaska, to Japan, from Japan to the Philippines, from the Philippines to Vietnam. And we landed in Da Nang. And a lot of things about the combat experiences and that, most of the stuff I learned when I got back here. Because we, we just did our job over there. We didn't care what the name of this village was or that village. We just did what we had to do, surround the village early in the morning, search search missions. At nighttime, we'd go sleep up on the top of a mountain. The next day, we'd, the next, the next day we'd come back, go to another area. Uh, we are arriving at West Point on the 11th of June. The main convention uh, we as an airborne unit we usually get there uh, a week ahead of time they have a hospitality room where when you buy your convention supper tickets which are a hundred dollars for the supper we can go to this room and we can have uh, drinks whatever we want it's all been supplied with the money that we buy purchase the tickets with and we can go to every day and eat or drink and uh, we meet all the buddies who are part of our unit and then we go on a Friday night, there's a banquet. And on, it, this is time it's going to be held in the academy, West Point Academy on the military base or uh, the academy. And then we go there for the supper, there's a military ceremony. And uh, on a Saturday night, there's another ceremony, which is uh, uh, a similar type ceremony with color guard, honor guard, and they... Uh, and that's going, to, and it's going to be remembering 50 years of uh, our unit in Vietnam. All right, and then the last question, which is the question I ask all of the guests on my podcast. Um, are you a Canadian? And if so, what does that mean? Well, I'm very proud to be a Canadian. I've learned to be a proud Canadian by knowing veterans who were Canadian during the Second World War. I had an uncle who was a Second World War veteran, and uh, I've always uh, met a lot of Canadian people who served in the Canadian forces, and a lot of people who served American forces through the American Legion in Montreal, Canada. I've been to many conventions through Canada, from Prince Edward Island to Ottawa, Toronto, Vancouver. Calgary to American Legion conventions in Canada because we would fly out there have our military conventions when the American Legion had a lot more members in Canada but today all the veterans are from the Second World War Korea and they have all passed on and the only few left are a couple of Vietnam veterans which uh, and uh, the other day we honored a Filipino fellow who's a hundred years old who belongs to the American Legion and he was in the Philippines uh, fighting against the Japanese during the Second World War. 
Uh, we just honored him last week where I gave him a beautiful American flag. I went uh, yellow ribbons around the flag and special material for the American Legion. So I, uh, the honor I have is through the experience of beating a lot of American and Canadian soldiers and I learned to honor and respect them and that's how I was also very proud of our accomplishments <coughs> and I've served in the American Legion as commander by uh, vice commander sergeant at arms service officer finance officer this is through a period of over 47 years Thank you for listening to Unapologetically Canadian. This episode was brought to you by Notable Nonfiction. Notable Nonfiction teaches people to grow through their own ingenuity. Find out more at notablenonfiction.com. Whether it's Kroger Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Kroger has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Kroger, fresh for everyone.